Hey, it's Brian here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Go Be More podcast. Today's guest has run the mile in 4 minutes and 37 seconds. That's a pretty fast time. In fact, it's the fastest time ever by an American. Because I left something out. During that mile, he also drank 4 beers. In fact, he ran his mile in about 4 minutes and 16 seconds, and he drank those 4 beers in about 21 seconds. Total. I'm speaking, of course, of Chris Robertson, one of the top beer milers in the world. Now, we've spoken with a number of elite runners on the show, and we've spoken with a number of people for whom running is a really central part of their lives. But we haven't spoken with someone like Chris, a competitive amateur who continues to push himself and carve out a unique niche in the sport. We discuss how his club background at university helped and hurt his training, how he thinks about trying new things and testing himself, and how his entrepreneurial side aligns with his approach to training. He brings a fun, unique perspective, and it was a joy to learn about not just the art of elite beer miling, but his entire journey. Now, before we get to it, let me remind any new listeners about who we are at Go Be More. At Go Be More, our mission is simple. We want you to chase your dreams. So how does a clothing company help people chase their dreams? Well, I'm glad you asked. The clothes we wear are like every other part of our physical environment. They not only represent us, they reinforce who we are and who we're committed to being. When you wear a Go Be More shirt, you're wearing your personal commitment to Go Be More, to chase those dreams. And what better way to show someone you support them than to give them a physical symbol of your belief in them? We want the words Go Be More to remind you of your dreams every time you see them. As for this podcast, this is our chance to explore what it means to Go Be More with the people who inspire us and to share those stories and strategies with you. As always, if you have any feedback, you can email me at brian at gobemore.co or hit us up on social media. Okay, here's our conversation with Chris Robertson. All right, Chris Robertson, welcome to the Go Be More podcast. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Been looking forward to this one since we scheduled it. Yeah, thanks so much again, Chris, for, for joining us. I got to tell you, man, I, I love your backstory with the Beer Mile, and, and that's going to be fun to talk about. But let's go ahead and, and jump into the beginnings of your story. You know, we always like to ask about well, where people grew up, their childhood, a little bit about like basically your family life or early on. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in Iowa, only child with my parents and was introduced, I guess, in a very, very early age, introduced to sports. My parents always encouraged me to go out for soccer starting in kindergarten to try everything basically, you know, always playing in the neighborhood. And my dad picked up running in his 20s and was a frequent road racer pretty much every weekend going around the state of Iowa, even over to Illinois and just going to the local road races, 5Ks, 10Ks. And that's how I was introduced to it, just joining him on those weekends. And then when they had like a kid's race, a mile race, I would jump in those as early as, gosh, even kindergarten, first grade oftentimes. And uh, never really focused on running per se, but just did that alongside basketball, soccer, baseball up through junior high. And then that was when I really decided going into high school to focus on running. I saw that it was probably going to be my best sport as well as I was still super short at that point. Entering high school, I think even going into my sophomore year, I was still only like five foot one, under a hundred pounds. Okay, and so yeah. basketball wasn't, <laughs> basketball was not on the cards. Between my sophomore and junior year, I grew seven inches. So I, I quickly gained and caught up to everybody, but it was too late at that point. I was not going to have a chance on the basketball team. So Stuck to running and yeah, all through high school, just made that my main sport, my main focus, and I guess kind of went all in on it, so to speak. Did you have big aspirations for yourself as a runner or as an athlete growing up? 
I definitely did. I would always have some, I, I wouldn't say that I had a really long-term vision. Obviously, like most kids, I was like, it'd be awesome to be a pro athlete in whatever sport it would be. But yeah. I'd say I was very goal-oriented kind of year after year. Like in junior high, my goal was, or I guess even before junior high, in sixth grade, my goal was to break my school record for the mile for my elementary school. And then in junior high, going into eighth grade, my goal was to try to break five for the mile in eighth grade and came up, I think I ran 506, came up a little short, but it was that cycle of just every year, there was like something I would have a goal for and try to shoot for. And then freshman year of high school, I want to make varsity my freshman year. And all of those little pieces grew. I never had the huge goals. I think I had a lot of success in running, but I also would say that I was realistic and realized that I probably wasn't going to be an Olympian. I wasn't ever like a state champion or crushing it at that level. I was pretty consistently like a top, say top 15 to top 20 in the state type of caliber. So for me, it was always just like the next PR, beating someone who I'd never beat before, always focusing on that next thing. But I wouldn't say I ever really went into it with, I really want to be a D1 athlete, or I, I expect to be a D1 athlete, expect to be Olympian. I'd say it was more like taking things as they come year over year. Were you on a pretty good team or did you have a good foundation, a group around you that you were able to run with and learn from and train with? Yeah, absolutely. I was never way faster than anyone else on the team. I went to a high school that had won several state championships leading up to me attending that school. And I had other guys on my team. Uh, I think my senior year, I probably was the best person on the team most meets, but there was another guy that was always right there with me. So I was never the best person and, and felt like I was limited in my progression because of coaching, because of teammates to work out with, anything like that. It was always, I always had people around me that I learned from that supported me and that could challenge me on a day-to-day -day basis. When you graduated high school, did you go on to keep running competitively at that point? Or did you, like, what was your next step after that? So I did go on to continue running competitively, but not as a part of a collegiate team. I really had my, I'd say, breakout year or season, my senior year track season, which at that point, it was already too late to get recruited. I was hurt my junior year. And then even my fall season in cross country of my senior year, I ended up getting, that was the year that H1N1 swine flu was big. And so I got super sick right in the middle of the season, couldn't run for a couple of weeks. And so I really had a breakout spring season right at the end when I'd already picked a school based on academics and picked Iowa State University based on wanting to pursue engineering. And when I got there, I still had the dream of I'm going to run D1. And so I tried out for the team my freshman year. It's like the second week of school. Anyone could come try out. It was just a two mile time trial on the track. But I didn't run fast enough to make the team at that time. And so I was able to join the school's club team and still compete. I'd say a pretty high level, but with a lot less structure, a lot less pressure on my own terms. We still had like all the club teams in the nation meet for a national cross country meet in the fall, meet for a track in the spring. And so I was a part of all that cycle. Always had guys in the club team at Iowa State that were as fast or faster than me to train with. And then also had the benefit of being able to do road races throughout college then too, and sprinkle those in and get a little prize money here and there and uh, do some odd distances. So I, I would say overall, I, I was still... Maybe if I had been on a D1 team, I would have had faster PRs than I did. Uh, hmm. But the balance of, you know, how much I enjoyed it and then also focusing on school and for the amount of time I was putting into running, I think I was never limited and had, uh, looking back, you know, pretty happy with the success that I had and improving every single year throughout college. It's kind of interesting that you mentioned like the club scene is one where 
you know, I was running on the D1 team and I, have, I literally don't know if UCLA had a club team. They probably did in some capacity, but maybe not. And it might be more common in the Midwest or, or the East Coast or with different schools. But one of the things that stands out to me and I've always thought a lot about is the environment you're training in is so critical to what you're able to do, like to how you think about what you're doing, to what the goals you set, to the lifestyle you live. And when I think about the club setting, it seems harder to me just because you don't have the formal structure of maybe NCAA schedules and races and stuff. But it sounds like it was formal enough and it allowed you, it gave a lot of structure, but also the the cool thing when you said it is actually seems like it gave you some flexibility and freedom that allowed you to chart exactly the course you wanted to chart. Yeah, I would definitely agree that I didn't have a coach, didn't have access to facilities, didn't have a trainer, didn't have any of those things. Yep. Uh, did at least have set races on the calendar though. There was enough structure to say, this is when we're peaking as a club for this cross country meet, this road race. And we would collectively coach each other, figure out what we wanted to do for workouts. But I think I definitely left a lot on the table by not running in a more structured program. And it's also based on who's around you. That's kind of what the measure of success is. And so in our club, if you were like a sub 25 minute 8K guy, that's really good. And so that was where my goals were. And that's where my like ceiling was versus if I was D1, I probably would have said, no, I want to be a sub 24 guy. And so maybe I would have, you know, been a lot faster, been closer to 24 in college if that were the case, or maybe I would have gotten hurt, you know, tried too hard, burned out, not enjoyed it. And that might've been the alternate to that. I really don't know, but either way, I was happy with the people that I was around and happy with the fact that I could still focus on academics. And if I needed running to take a backseat for a week or two to go work harder for a test that was coming up or something like that, then there was no consequences for doing that. I could prioritize my life as well. I like the idea of it looking back at my journey. I don't think I would change any aspect of what I went through because I've learned so much from my experience actually being able to walk onto a D1 school at UCLA and then having the career that I ended up having. I have certain feelings about certain aspects of it, but overall, I'm like, dude, I had a lot more success than most people. And I feel very lucky to have had the success that I had. But when I think about experience, I love what you're describing, Chris, because I feel like that's really an important part of our journey in when we take on different endeavors. When I think about the idea of just the people you were probably around, the camaraderie you guys probably had, the fact that you didn't have to do, but you were doing it anyway, it changes the experience and it molds, I think, how you approach life in many ways after you've had that experience. And I assume, and I know we're going to talk about this a little more, but I think that's probably, it lends itself to what you're doing with the brand and the events connected to the Beer Mile and the Beer Mile World Championship. So I'm happy to hear that you had that experience. It sounds like it was very positive uh, for you overall. Yeah, absolutely. And a big takeaway from that is that now I would say I'd prioritize running very high in my life, but it's Mm -hmm. never the sole priority. Or I would also say it's never the top priority above all else. I think I have it pegged similarly with career and entrepreneurial ventures. And those things excite me just as much as running does. And so I think it really did teach me at that age that if running is going well, that's awesome. I think we can all relate to how amazing it is when you're just, everything's clicking, you're training hard, it's all going well. But then when I don't have that, I I feel like I at least have some other avenues that help form my identity that I can still say, oh, well, I'm also like Chris, the, the tech 
person or the product person at work. I'm also the beer mile guy. I'm also a podcaster creating videos. Like I have a lot of other interests too that then help me to kind of reconcile or overcome some of those uh, tougher times that are inevitable in running when you, you know, are injured or things just aren't going the way that you would like them to be going. Can I ask you one more question about that time? One of the things that I always find comes up when I speak with especially younger runners and and people who are in really formal programs is this notion of how much you're responsible for in your training. Because if you're on a formal program, it's very easy sometimes to just be like, oh, well, coach is going to tell me what to do and I'm just going to do it. You just sort of show up and, and, and do the work kind of thing. And yet I think the best athletes take some measure of responsibility and ownership over the whole aspect of what they're doing, right? At, at some point, you're going to have to do that to really achieve your potential. And I guess what I'm wondering is, do you feel like running in the club environment forced you to figure that out earlier than by having to go, like you said, you didn't really have a coach or you just had to come up with your own stuff. I mean, does that resonate with you? That idea that that setting kind of forced you to do some work around owning your results in a way that maybe, I don't know, the environment forced you to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think in those situations, I took a lot of that on myself. Like I'm responsible for learning what's good for me. And you do have the opportunity as well to experiment at times too. You can Mm -hmm. experiment with a a few months of just running as many miles as you can to see what happens. Then you can switch and say, I'm just going to do a lot of speed work and not care about mileage for a few months. And you can experiment on yourself and see what really clicks and what doesn't click. I would say at that time, it might have helped to have a little guidance because there was definitely a lot I didn't know at that age. And even you're still understanding your own body and still even growing. I grew three more inches when I was in college. So there was a lot that maybe a coach probably could have helped me at least get a jump start on some of that knowledge. But absolutely, just learning what works for yourself, I think is super useful. And now I actually do have a coach. These last couple of years, I decided I wanted to have a coach again and have someone holding me accountable, take that decision making off on the training side. And I've had a lot of success in doing that. But also now I feel like if I ever were to go back to not having a coach, I'm so much more prepared for just understanding what I need to be doing and all of that, putting the pieces together myself as well. Yeah. I love what you said there. And I think that's my attitude about having a coach is you're delegating certain responsibilities to your coach. Like you still own it, but you're choosing to have this person do that because that's their specialty. That's what they're great at. Right. I also just think these formative experiences, they sort of formally or informally or, you know, consciously or unconsciously affect the way we view everything we're doing later in life. Right. You find a framework that works for you in running. And whether you know it or not, you're going to use a lot of those lessons in future pursuits. So it's like the more you can learn results or strategies that work well, the better you're going to be in the future. And I never gave much thought to that setting that you were in. And I can see the pros and cons of it, but I think there's a lot of value out of it to, to being in that setting in a, in a very competitive yet somewhat informal setting. It's, that's, it's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm very much a person that's I'll try something and either it works and great, I iterate on it, or if it doesn't work, then I learn from it. I think that I've done that my whole life, like been very entrepreneurial mindset my whole life. Started my first business mowing lawns when I was in sixth grade, just walking (laughs) up and down the street, putting flyers in people's doors and learn that you can't just open people's mailboxes and put things in there because it's a federal crime to be messing with people's mail. And (laughs) you, you learn all these things along the way. And it's been the same thing with even now. I've tried a couple different side hustles, different e-commerce stores, built different websites and things that don't go anywhere. And I'm like, great, you know, yeah, I lost a few hundred bucks and wasted time on it, but it's not really wasted time because it's really just educating you for the next thing. And so I, I don't know, I like to get my hands on a lot of things and see what clicks. And I think that's true in running, trying different workouts or is it better to lift 
three times a week and really go hard on lifting? Or is it better to pull back and mileage and experimenting with that piece of it? I've experimented with diet as well, going from growing up in, in Iowa and having relatives who are farmers eating meat for almost every meal. I went from that to vegan for a while. And I actually felt a lot better doing that than my previous diet. And so now I'm pescatarian and I think that's a good balance for me. So I'm willing to experiment on myself and see where things go and, and really learn from things as I mature. Chris, that's such a perfect segue into talking about your first beer mile. Like, how did you get into experimenting with, <laughs> with beer? <and> <laughs> Absolutely. It was actually part of my club team in college. It was uh, I think it was my freshman year. The older guys said, hey, we're going to go to the track and do a beer mile. I had never heard of it. And I was like, I'll definitely tag along. I didn't compete in it, but I just watched it. And there's like 20, 30 guys and actually a number of women as well doing it. And they all were there drinking, having fun, running. And I just, yeah, I came away with it. Like, I can't believe that's a thing. Yeah. And that was my first introduction to it. And then it was just a, something that the club team did uh, a couple times a year just for bragging rights, really, just for fun yep. uh, at yeah. the end of a cross-country season, end of a track season. And so eventually, you know, I decided to go for it and jump in. And the first couple times I did it, I wasn't like amazing at it. I think the first time I did it, I was in the seven-minute range and wasn't even the best guy on the club. There's a couple other guys way faster than me. And just over the course of my college years, just each time I did it, kind of got a little bit better at it, a little bit better at it uh, throughout. And then real quick, yeah. not to cut you off, but actually I just, I was going to say, I don't know. I, I assume that many people listening know what a beer mile is, but for those who don't, I'll just really quickly explain. I think a yeah. beer mile is four beers, four laps, right? And so you start, if I'm remembering correctly, you start with a beer and then you run a lap and then you do that three more times. And, and at the end of it, that's your final time, right? So seven minutes, seems like that's probably way faster than what it was when I did my first one, right? It's um, amazing. We haven't talked about how fast you've run a beer mile, but you've run the beer mile in four minutes and 37 seconds. And that is way faster than most people run a mile. And you're doing it while drinking four beers. So there's a couple aspects. We'll go down this a little bit, but I, I didn't want to, I just realized I was like, we're starting to talk about the beer mile, but maybe somebody who's listening doesn't actually know what this means, right? Okay. So you were talking about doing it for bragging rights and getting into it. I only have one experience actually doing a beer mile and I'll just share it really quickly. But at UCLA, it was illegal to bring alcohol to the track. So we did it at midnight on a random night where you know everybody shows up and I didn't know what I was doing. I probably didn't even bring any beer. I probably just drank whatever somebody showed up with, which was probably cans of something that was not easy to drink. All these other things where you, you realize if you're really trying to be competitive, you're not really being strategic about it, right? You're just doing the experience. But when I did it, honestly, I mean, some people were probably trying to be competitive, but at the same time, the only rule I really remember was don't throw up. That was the rule. And so you do the whole thing. And then at the end, and I'll just throw this out because this was really memorable to me, was that we did a four by 400 meter race, like a relay race at the end of it. And what's funny to me is I remember that more than anything, only because it was so funny watching everybody try to do a four by 400 meter race after they'd just done a beer mile, right? And so the event was hilarious and fun and a team bonding experience, but not in any way competitive beyond what you said, which is bragging rights and just having a good time and joking with each other, that kind of thing. So when I uh, learned that it was it, it kind of formalized to some extent, right? There was much more going on to it. It was a surprise to me. And yet, and now I'm like, it's really impressive the way you and others are able to actually do it. So now I've just talked way longer about my beer mile story, but does that resonate with you about how it, you got started? It absolutely does. And it's perfect because 
the beer mile really can pull together the non-running person into the running community. And that's what I like so much about yeah. it. And with, within the club team, you would have someone who maybe their PR in the mile is six minutes. They could beat someone whose PR in the mile is 4.30 in a beer mile. And it's like a completely different playing field within a group. And we even had people join us outside the club that are just friends of club members yep. that don't run a step in their life. They still probably can run a seven minute mile or an eight minute mile, but they can come and crush half the club in this event that involves running. And it's just like all fun and the bragging rights of it and, and uh, betting on like, I bet I can beat you in this beer mile. Neither uh, of us have ever done this thing before, but I bet you I can beat you in it. And yeah. it absolutely resonates just the atmosphere of it and the ability to kind of people who don't necessarily care about running at all. They can, but I think more people understand like, what does it mean to drink four beers? And so you're combining those two worlds and hopefully even getting some people interested in running as a result of it. Everything about it is, it screams fun and community and bonding and just pure unadulterated joy, (laughs) you know, because I'm imagining different friends that I have that aren't really into running, but I know for sure they would just have a blast with something like this. And, and that's what I, as an entrepreneur, as somebody that is interested in developing brands and learning how to build brands and tell stories, I think there's something very special about the Beer Mile in that respect, the community aspect of it as well. I think it's beautiful. I think it's really cool in that regard. Just the way you describe it, I'm like, dude, that, that's what we want people to experience when it comes to running is it, it is fun. It's hard. We had these shirts and calls that said running is your sports punishment kind of a thing, but running is great, man. And, and this is just a really fun take on it. What, what you guys are doing. One of the questions we were going to ask you, Chris, speaking about how you got into it, when did you actually start taking it seriously? When did it actually become something that you could take seriously? Yeah. So I didn't really realize, I think at the time I I definitely knew like of beermile.com and just seeing results that people had submitted and seeing, wow, there's someone that can run low fives. And I think at the time, actually maybe the five minute barrier had just been broken. It was somewhere right around there, but just seeing that and was like, oh, wow, that's insane. I didn't realize that people were that fast at it because it, I think the beer mall kind of is underground. It's like you're comparing yourself. You know how good the other people are that you've done it with, but you don't necessarily know how good people are out there. And so what made me realize that it was a legit thing was in 2014, the first ever flow track beer mile championship. And that was my senior year at Iowa State and flow track marketed the heck out of it. And I was on the site all the time. So saw that they were having this beer mile world championship. I was like, what the heck? Like no way that this is a thing. So I watched it live. And the first year, like Nick Simmons was there, but he ended up getting smoked in that race just because there was all these other guys that had figured out this technique of like drinking and running together. Whereas Nick hadn't really practiced the two together. He's he's good at both solo, but hadn't really done the two together. So that was the first time where I was like, okay, I'm not bad at this. I'm pretty decent. I'd say for only doing it a couple of times a year. I think at that time I was probably around six minutes. And so I realized that to get into that flow track race, you had to have run under 530. And so then I made it at that point, I made it my goal. I was like, okay, by next year's flow track in 2015, I'm going to run it under 530 and get in to this race. And that's exactly what it was. It was like a month before the qualifying period ended. I ran 528, sent them the video and was like, hey, get me in this race. I want to do it. And that's really where I got introduced to 
everyone in the sport, Nick McFalls, mutual yep. friend that introduced us as well as many others and realize, yes, it is a legit sport. And also it's so different than a typical race vibe. Everyone there is so friendly. It's community based. The way that they put on the events centered around beer festival, people coming out to watch and everything about it was super fun. And so from that point forward, it was just, uh, how do I keep improving at this and keep getting asked to come back to all of these races, the Beer Mile World Classic, the Flow Track Beer Mile, and just chipping away at it at that point and learning from others on, yeah, there is a technique to chugging and yes, a bottle is better than a can and here's the angle to hold it at and all these like little pieces that I would have never even thought about a year or two before that time. But at that time, I was like, okay, I'm going to keep learning this thing. And one other thing I'll add is that at that first flow track, at that one that I competed in in 2015, I had the fastest running splits of everyone in the race, but I got like middle of the pack or back of the pack. And so I realized then that, okay, I actually have the potential. I just need to learn the technique of drinking the beer. And so that was also what fueled me. It wasn't that I was slower than everyone, but good at drinking. It was actually the opposite. And I was like, okay, I can learn the technique of chugging. And if I can do that, I'm faster than most of the field. So I think I could actually be good at this. I think there's a, uh, I, 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 so cool. yeah, I wanted to ask you what, yeah, as kind of a joke question, but which one is more fun to train for the running part or the drinking part? <laughs> Unfortunately, the drinking part is not a ton to train for. I mean, the best way to train for it is to not overtrain for the drinking part. Right. And that, uh, you can't be drinking too many beers and still, uh, you know, the beer mile, unfortunately has become, I don't want to say less fun for me, but when I go out to do a beer mile now, I'm going into it with the mindset of, I need to be ready to PR in the mile today. So this mm -hmm. is going to hurt. Whereas when you're in college messing around, you're not really worried about that. You're like, oh, if I take a few extra seconds on this beer, you know, whatever. But now every split second matters. And so it is less fun in that regard that it is so dialed in. But for me, I don't have any room to grow on the drinking part. Figure that out. It's a skill you can learn once you figure it out. You figured it out. Now I just got to keep getting faster at the mile. So getting back to having a coach, getting yep. the speed work in, I need to be able to run 4.0 low or four flat in the mile if I want to like really crush this world record. That's I wanted to, crazy. Are you serious, man? I know. No, that's the thing. When you, that's so yeah, when you, you're, wow. You, when you watch your race and you realize, and, you, and the great thing about your video that you can watch is that you give us the splits too. I don't have to sort of calculate it on my own. Right. But it's like yeah. five seconds, yeah. he drank the beer and then he ran a 64, 63, 65, whatever the, the splits were for each lap. And I'm going, yeah. The whole technique, everything about it, it's so fascinating. And I hope everybody who watches this goes to the show notes. I'll put a link to the video in, in, on your site about it because there's all these little things. It's like where the table's set, you grab the beer, the little tiny steps you're taking, the angle, you know, pacing it out so that you can just basically be done and hit the ground again. When I see it, I think to myself, there's so much technique actually being put into this that obviously didn't exist when I did it because it was just a bunch of dopes out there at midnight on a track, right? Just doing whatever. But like, anyway, That's how I, all great things start, Brian. That's all, how all great things start. <laughs> exactly, right? Just a bunch of people messing around. So, you know, the funny thing is, I don't actually want to totally make this sort of all about the beer mile because you actually do a ton of running for other stuff too. You have other goals with running. And the beer mile is a really fun example of something that you found a, a nice niche in, right? But can you talk about some of your other goals or your approach? To running. I know you've done some really long races. I saw you ran rim to rim to rim, which is a race I'd kind of heard of, but don't know much about. And I think of it as like, a, in my mind, it fits in that category of the one in Death Valley where everybody runs in the crazy hot temperatures for hundred miles and stuff, but you've done other things. So do you mind talking to us a little bit about what your approach is in training and running outside of just the beer mile? 
Yeah, I've tried a bunch of different things. I really try to switch it up. I think I don't even know if I've really found my sweet spot, so to speak. I run a ton of road races in general, like 5Ks, 10Ks. I'll, I'll just hop in those whenever there's opportunities. For a couple of years, of like 2018, 2019, I'd say I was really focusing on the marathon, just in the you know Olympic trials cycle, trying to qualify for that. And so I ended up coming up a little short on that. So trying to run the sub 219, the OTQ time was on pace through 20 miles and just, I think it was right, just like slightly overreaching what my fitness was. I was probably more like 220 shape and mm -hmm. just couldn't hang on to it. So marathon, that was really my first stab at like a full on committed year of training to a marathon. So I think I'll get back to that at some point, but transition from that. And, you know, I'll do a cycle where I'm doing mile speed training for the beer mile for a couple of track meets. And then I'll do 5k, 10ks or focus on a half or a full or USA club XC nationals. I do that almost yep. every year as well. I really just like to race a lot. I race pretty much year round and I'll usually target a few races where I really focus on them during the year, but I'm pretty open to just keeping the ball rolling and just keep racing as much as I see fit. And the rim to rim to rim was, uh, it actually, it wasn't a formal race. It was me and a couple of my college club running buddies. We just said, Hey, it'd be a fun trip. Let's just run rim to rim to rim of the Grand Canyon, which is, I think it's roughly 45 miles and. I don't remember what the elevation is exactly. Seven, 8,000 maybe is what's ringing in my head. It's pretty high at the lines, top. Yeah. I don't know what it is at the bottom, but at the top yeah, it's up there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it's like a hundred degrees in the bottom of it and it was like 30 degrees on top. So yeah, ran almost all of it other than speed hiking up the super, like when you're coming out of the Canyon, you can't really run. You're like speed hiking up that big incline. But other than that, ran most of it and just really had never run over a marathon before, but was like, hey, I want to see if I can do it. It's really, it's more just the mindset of I want to challenge myself. And sometimes that means seeing how fast I can go and trying to set a PR. Sometimes that means just, I don't know, like the rim to rim to rim, just a challenge on endurance and a unique course and just getting to experience something that I wouldn't normally get to experience, you know, sitting here in Chicago and just running up and down along a bike path. So I don't know if I have an exact technique. It's really, uh, I like to try new things and just keep bettering myself in whatever it is that I'm you know, trying to challenge myself with at the given time. Well, you've kind of called back to that twice. I think with the beer mile early in high school, it was like, well, I'll just set a goal for this season. This is a good goal for me to go for this season. And with the beer mile, you mentioned how it was like 530. Okay, that's the goal for this season. I'm going to try to get under that. And then you've also, it's been a consistent theme that I've noticed is just the willingness to try stuff and the willingness to go do some new experiences and do it in a way that's serious and has a little bit of competitive edge to it or a little bit of a challenge, right? It's not just sort of, I'm just going to do stuff just to sort of do it, but like actually put yourself into it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely testing myself. So this summer, I'm actually going to live in Colorado for three months in the mountains and signed up for the Pikes Peak Marathon in August. So oh, I'm going wow, okay. to, because the rim to rim to rim went super well, I hadn't even really been doing a ton of long runs. My longest run going in that was maybe like 13 miles. And I went and did it and felt pretty good doing it. And so now I'm going to test myself and see, because I've never really done a stint where I've done trail running or mountain running. So I'm going to see if what I have at the trail and, and mountain scene and really go for it and train for a few months and then do the Pikes Peak Marathon. And worst case, I find out that I'm just average and not very good at it. It'll still be a, a fun summer of training and being at altitude and enjoying that. And Best case, maybe I find out that I'm really good at it and could be a trail runner and compete maybe nationally in that event. So absolutely. Yeah. For me, it is always about just being willing to, to try new things. And 
I think that even relates one, like kind of a tangent, but similar theme is I, I don't know if the super long-term goals, I think it's good to always be thinking about what you want to achieve. But for me, looking at my career, for example, I didn't even know the job that I'm in currently, I didn't even know that existed five years ago. So how could I have coming out of college said, this is my end goal. I want to be, you know, this job at this place. I wouldn't have even known like what my capabilities were. And I would have limited myself if I had tried to set a goal based on what I knew at the time. But as you go through the years, you learn more, you get exposed to more, then really just taking opportunities as they come and just taking advantage of serendipity. And it's like this opportunity came because I met this person at this event. They introduced me to this person. Now I found out about this company I didn't even know about. And now there's this job that I didn't even know existed, that there was a job like this. And that's kind of been the story of my career. And so I think that that also translates into running a little bit. I I don't know what I'm capable of. I never would have thought I'd run under 440 for a beer mile five years ago, but here I am. So I don't want to limit myself in and say that I only have this one siloed goal when you know my interests are gonna change, my uh, realizing what my different talents are, I'm probably gonna realize new things and learn more about myself over the years. I think that's a really interesting thing to say and to share on our podcast, because honestly, I think that that surmises in many ways the kind of message that I, I think both Brian and I share or want to share with people when we talk about Gopi more, because I'm coming from this place of trying to develop this brand and this message, you know, having been a person that was just like extreme on the dream side. And I've gotten to the point where, especially over the last couple of years working with Brian, where I've learned from him, it's like, wow, the small stuff is actually a really critical thing to focus on. And, And it's not compromising the bigger thing that you were aiming to achieve that might be like that North Star goal that you might have for yourself. But if you only focus on the bigger thing and and wanting that thing to work out and not really embracing the journey and the little things that have to happen and or the little things that might come about as far as, like you're saying, opportunities, because you're on the journey towards that bigger thing and you're not very flexible with embracing what's coming up as far as uh, experiences and opportunities along the way, you're missing out. You're going to miss out. You're not really going to enjoy the journey. You're going to probably make things not as joyous as they could be. And I say that from personal experience. I was too hard and rigid in wanting things to work out and beating myself up about it not working out that I kind of, I think, even though I did enjoy a lot of my journey, I missed out on a lot more joy in the journey to where I ended up getting to. And so that's a really cool thing. I'm glad you shared that. I think that it's really impressive that you continue to be open to seeing where things are going to go. And I think that's just like the way that you describe it. Again, I just, it's a really good sentiment. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. The way you're describing it as well, I think it's spot on. And it's not to say that I don't really think about those big things and have those crazy outlandish goals as well. But I think yeah. I'm just very open to like the path that I go to get there. I'm very flexible in, in that piece of it. Well, you know, there's this framework that I teach to my students and I don't know how easy it is to do it in like one minute, but I, I tell them there's three paths to being really super successful. One is, you know exactly what you need to do and you just have to be the best at it. So it's just becoming an expert. It's like, you know, it's being the fastest runner in the race or it's being the best at whatever skill. And that's the defined path. And you can try to do that. And it's very competitive. There's a lot of people trying to do the exact same thing usually. And then there's another path, which is to have just a great combination of skills that you know how to apply together, right? You're not necessarily the best, but you're able to make a combination that's really powerful in and of itself. 
But then the third way is to do something that's completely unique and you're the only person doing it. And you're the only person who even sees that connection can be made, right? But the thing I like about both of the latter two is that both of them require you to be continuously learning and developing skills and figuring out how to make those work together. And so if, when you talk about your mindset of just trying new things and putting yourself out there and, and doing all this stuff, I feel like whether you're doing it strategically or not in using my framework, I can see that you're just setting yourself up for future success because you don't know where that success is going to come from. You don't know which dot is going to connect and which person is going to create the door. But when the opportunity opens up, you're going to look back and say, oh, well, I've done X, Y, and Z things, and now I'm ready to actually do this, right? Because I did those things in the past. So anyway, everything you're saying really resonates with me from the standpoint of how I view, you know, we can pursue success strategically, right? As a lifestyle. I love that framework. That's a very articulate way to put it. I really like that. Chris, we're getting close to um, wrapping up this great conversation. So some of the things that I hope we can touch on before we close, though, is what are you working towards now, both in your professional career and also in running? What are some of the big things that you kind of have on your plate that you're chipping away at? Yeah, the newer thing in the past year that's taken up a lot of my attention and that I see hopefully going somewhere, something that I'm really passionate about is the whole Beer Mile podcast piece of it. I've been involved in the Beer Mile for, what is it, like six years now, you know, formally as part of these competitions and still, as we've already discussed, see that as a great event to bring more people into the sport of running, to build community in the running world with, you know, beer culture, with really just that mindset of just challenging yourself, so on and so forth. And then also we're bridging into covering track and field and that piece of it because, we want to expose more people to the sport of the beer mile and vice versa, get more people interested in what pro runners are doing and pro athletes. Mm -hmm. And so the whole like brand that I'm trying to build with my business partner around the beer mile media piece of it is that kind of that more fun and more of a lens of telling the athlete's story, bringing that piece to pro runners and, and having them on the beer mile podcast and really letting them tell their story, just like what you're exactly what you're doing with Go Be More right here on this podcast, letting me tell my story. We're trying to do that kind of in the running scene. And then we're combining it with, hey, we're going to review this beer, a different beer every single episode as well, because now we also have these followers that they don't know anything about running and they don't even know who these athletes are, but yeah. they're interested in that piece of it. And so it's like, can we kind of mold the two of those together and like events are centered around a brewery and track and field meets different you know, ways to tell stories for athletes, all sorts of good stuff there. I think that there's a lot of opportunity to kind of figure it out as we go. And outside of that, I'm still you know, working my full-time job as a business development product person at a tech company. And so that's very demanding, but also at the same time, a great, I, w I don't want to say backup, but like a great uh, fallback should Beer Mile Media, you know, for whatever reason, just never become a, I think it'll you know, kind of always exist and always have some success, but if it's not ever a full-time thing for me, I'm okay with that. And I think that's also good to have the passion and interest also in my, you know, actual day job as well. And so I'm basically pursuing both of those equally and just grinding away at it. And early in the morning before I do those things, and then, you know, at night, trying to fit in the running as well and having goals there on, can I break the beer mile world record this year? Can I get top 10 at the Pikes Peak Marathon, maybe even in November, I might jump into the marathon again. If I come off this Pikes Peak Marathon cycle and I'm realize I'm in pretty good endurance shape after altitude, maybe I'll go for the, just go for the 218 marathon, you know, right away here in the fall, if I'm ready for it. 
just from a sanity standpoint, I enjoy that I have a bunch of different things that I'm working toward and, and can keep, you know, improving in each of these different areas. No, I think that's fun. You know, I think the way that you're doing it is fun. It sounds like you are developing more of a lifestyle and these are the things that you're doing to enjoy that lifestyle. So I think you'll know based on what you're saying, what you want to keep doing and what you might want to reduce uh, or eliminate at some point. But I don't know, man, I think it's a lot of fun. I love the example that you're setting in terms of just going with the flow that life's taking you. And it's been so fun, man, listening to you and, and hearing how you've approached your journey. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's fun to talk about it. And honestly, part of the reason I, I haven't done it as much lately, but I used to really like writing is I think being on this podcast and just hearing my own thoughts out loud, you learn more about yourself just doing that as well. And, and that's why I always used to like writing a lot because you mm -hmm. really think through what matters to you and what your positions are on different things. And so, yeah, just being here and getting the chance to talk with you guys has been, you know, I've learned something new and then have something to take away from it. Yeah, I, Wonderful. I, I love that you said that is exactly how I feel. I sometimes say to John, I don't sometimes know what I think about something until I've tried to write down my argument for it. Right. And then and it's like, oh, now I actually have an opinion before I was sort of like this kind of a little, you know, unsure about myself in some sense. And I'm the same. And I recognize having been a guest on a couple of podcasts, it's a little bit of a strange situation to hear yourself explaining some things that maybe you you're trying to do it because you're answering a question and you're like, actually, I've never 100% articulated this before. So I'm going to try right now in real time and let's see how this goes. <laughs> so it's a, I appreciate you coming on and doing that because it's a challenge, right? It's always a little bit nerve wracking. I want to ask you our last question. We wrap up every podcast the same way. And that is our brand is Go Be More. What do the words Go Be More mean to you? Yeah, the first time I heard the brand and the you know saying Go Be More, I, I mean, I think it, it resonates with everything we've already talked about here today. I think no matter what you're pursuing in life, whether it's athletic or spending more time with your family or pursuing a career, to me, it just means you're always trying to level up and be better at whatever it is you're doing. And I think a great example of this is, say you go into a race and you, you have an existing personal best and you have maybe a time goal in mind, like say you're trying to break five minutes for the mile for the first time and then you do it. I, I would assume a lot of people can relate to this. I don't think it's just me, but I'll go into that. And you know, for, for the first 15 minutes after the race, I'm super excited. I'm like, man, I did it. I got my time goal. I ran a personal best. And then 15 minutes later, I'm like, well, now why can't I run 450? Why can't I run 445? And so it's that mindset of, I can always be more than what I am. You have all these goals and then you achieve them along the way. And you definitely need to celebrate and realize the hard work that went into that. But there's always something more you can do. And sometimes I think that might be like a pitfall because I'm never fully satisfied because there's always more to do. But I think that's also what makes me happy, at least makes a lot of people happy is that pursuit of just wanting to achieve something new and really testing yourself and seeing what you're capable of. And so that's exactly what it means to me. Go be more in just every aspect of life. There's always something I can improve upon, regardless of the endeavor that, that we're talking about. I love it. That's I, I see John smiling. I, I think I, I know that resonates with John. Chris, we're going to put some links in. I really, I'll just put it in again. I encourage everybody to check out your podcast, to go to your website and check out the videos to get a feel for what a, an American record beer mile looks like. And I love that you have a little bit of stuff in the beginning too, talking about your technique and how you warm up before a race. I mean, there's some other stuff in there that gives some good context to the whole event. And with that, I'll end it here and, and say thank you, Chris, for coming on. It's been a joy to speak with you. And we're really grateful that you came on letting us share your story. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. No problem, Chris. Thanks, buddy. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. I want to take a moment to call out our other show, Fueling the Pursuit, presented by UCAN. 
where this week we speak with arguably the greatest water polo player in the world today, Maggie Steffens. She shares the secrets to pandemic training, preparing for clutch moments, and leading a team of leaders. If you want to try UCAN's amazing products, use the code UCANGOBEMORE, or just click the link on the show notes for 20% off and free shipping. A big thank you to Michelle at Creatives Collective Marketing for production assistance. You can send us feedback directly by emailing brian at gobemore.co. Be sure to leave us a rating and review, and even easier, tell a friend about the show. Then, stop by our shop at gobemore.co and pick up a t-shirt to help remind you to stay committed to chasing your dreams every day. For all of us at Gobemore, we are what the world is chasing, and we hope this podcast helps you become what the world is chasing too.